Hello and welcome to the latest Sustainable Guernsey podcast, which is rated one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by the Green Finance Guide. Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in sustainable finance and as part of this podcast series, we'll be speaking to and learning from some of the leading global figures in the field. My name is Rosie Alsop. I'm Communications Director at Guernsey Finance, the promotional agency for Guernsey's finance industry. And today we have a very special guest. I am delighted to be speaking to Jens Nielsen, who is the founder and CEO of World Climate Foundation. Welcome, Jens. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you. So firstly, let's introduce you to our listeners. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and the work that you do at the World Climate Foundation? Um, yes. <clears throat> so, um, so I'm born in the, in the country of Denmark. Uh, and I'm based in Copenhagen, Denmark, um, for now. Um, I've had a career working in a number of countries. Uh, I've worked in Canada, I've worked in Australia, I've worked in Japan, and uh, a few other countries also, uh, basically or primarily on um, market creation for regulated industries. I've worked with in the oil sector, I've worked with potash, I've worked with rail, I've worked with uh, post and logistics, I've worked with energy, and now work with climate. Uh, and um, my work here at the World Climate Foundation is focused on creating, uh, I would say, a new green economy uh, where uh, where we act better in terms of uh, not increasing uh, the uh, global warming and uh, acting more nature positive. Thank you. Now, at the World Climate Foundation, you've had a huge amount of experience in attending COPs. Um, for listeners who might not be familiar with um, the different types of COP, could you begin briefly by explaining the difference between them, Jens? Yeah, I would say that um, uh, we started the, the World Climate Foundation back uh, at COP15 uh, in Copenhagen in 2009. Um, it, it wasn't the most successful COP, I would say. Uh, rather, it uh, didn't fulfill its, its promises to make a, an agreement uh, back then. Um, and um, it was also a COP where we could uh, see that uh, um, the marketplace, business and finance, uh, civil society were not really invited into um, the halls of the negotiations. Um, and, and that was, uh, I mean, part, part of the reason of us starting off by, by doing the World Climate Summit as an off-site uh, event, which we did the year after in Cancun. Um, if we look back now, I'd say the, the, the major change have been that, that um, back then business and finance were not included, but today business and finance and, um, and the whole marketplace, uh, civil society is seen as an integral part of uh, solving uh, climate change. Uh, I'll also say that um, uh, up until 2015, up until the Paris Agreement, um, it was mainly negotiations uh, among uh, the 192 countries to reach an agreement and 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 we finally reached that in the in 2015 the paris agreement on climate change uh, since then the focus has been more and more towards implementation and uh, getting access to work together across uh, sectors so getting um, finance business government uh, uh, consumers etc to work together and finding uh, solutions to climate change so how else have the events changed over the years? Um, we talk about maybe some of the positives and perhaps some of the negatives as well. Um, so, so, so I think that they, um, uh, they, they, 
they, they have become much better in stimulating uh, a dialogue. And um, I would say that you got a, a lot more actors uh, present. Uh, you got a lot more, I would say, um, uh, a lot more of the private sector also converging uh, towards uh, providing impact uh, towards some of the UN goals. Uh, and it goes both for climate, it goes for biodiversity. Um, and uh, I would say that um, that today there's a lot of uh, collective intelligence in place. I think that if, if one could nurture uh, everything that's, uh, that is there uh, and, and turn uh, collective intelligence into collective action, uh, we could solve uh, the Paris Agreement on climate change many times. Uh, I would say the negatives are still, it's, 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 it's quite, uh, it's not super conducive the way that things are organized. Um, uh, the UN, uh, the, in the way that, the, that everybody in the UN needs to agree, or all the parties to the COP needs to agree, the 192 countries needs to agree on every decision, makes it very hard to, to reach uh, or to make a change. Um, and to force anybody into place, I would say, uh, and uh, and the engagement of the private sector is still very unstructured, um, and it doesn't really yet nurture uh, the full potential of all those uh, people being there. Absolutely. So Guernsey was delighted to be part of an event that you hosted as part of COP15 in Montreal, uh, the World Biodiversity Summit. Can you Talk us through why we need a specific nature-based COP um, and the similarities and maybe differences as well between climate and nature. Yeah, I think the the the, uh, the loss of biodiversity, which we which which we see uh, and it was is very high, uh, uh, poses as as just as big a danger to uh, to humanity and to our planet as uh, climate change and that's why we uh, we need an agreement uh, on on biodiversity and reducing the loss in biodiversity and actually start acting more nature positive and um uh, the um the, the the reason why we need an agreement is also to get uh, much more parties uh, in line for working together to uh, to achieve uh, a more nature positive um, uh, future and uh, i would say that the um the good thing about the Paris Agreement has been that uh, that it might not be that solutions oriented, but it creates a framework where actors can work together and implement changes that really takes a long time to implement. So it works really as a good framework for long term collaboration, and and that's what I think that the uh, the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework will have the same uh, place as an institution for collaboration. So what were some of the highlights of COP15 um, in terms of those commitments? Um, and how do you think they might actually drive change? Well, first of all, I think that uh, one of the key successes was a short-term goal. Uh, and they actually already set a very short-term goal um, by um, uh, that, that for the world to conserve and restore 30% of land worldwide by 2030. And, and that was a landmark achievement and, and possibly... Uh, a stronger short-term landmark achievement that we than what we saw with the Paris Agreement on climate change, and then it's um, achieving the, the the 23 targets of the Global Biodiversity Framework uh, that uh, that that can be done by a structured top-down, bottom-up, consolidated action approach. Uh, and and I think that uh, the fact that we got so many countries, especially the big countries that, that have much nature, 
the big five uh, behind uh, the agreement is uh, uh, what was great to see. And I think that um, uh, within biodiversity uh, or in biodiversity, they've also learned uh, or, or took action. So the key learnings from the Paris Agreement and already have included the private sector, uh, both business and finance, uh, already from the start uh, and from the adoption of the agreement. Now, you touched on it just a second ago. Um, at the conclusion of COP15, I think the nature finance community was very relieved to see the final text of the Kunming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework uh, and that it was agreed. Do you see many similarities from previous COP agreements, such as the Paris Agreement or conclusions from COP26? Uh, yes. Uh, again, they're not uh, sort of uh, strong legally binding agreements. They are more frameworks uh, of uh, for collaboration which makes it easier to uh, work horizontally and include um, all actors um, uh, in, uh, in, in, in finding uh, solutions uh, to either uh, climate or biodiversity. And I would say that, um, that the UN system is uh, are, are conferences of the parties. It's, it's mainly an institution that is governed by governments. But, but as we all know, um, the funding for solving climate change and biodiversity, uh, it cannot be done by from, from public sources. Most of the capital required today uh, are within the private sector. And the same thing, uh, it's, it's correct that much business are causing um, global warming and uh, loss of biodiversity, but it's also within business that you find the innovation and the technology and the solutions to biodiversity and climate change. So I, I think that um, the, 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 the good part of these uh, broad frameworks is that they're, they're very good in creating uh, cross-sector collaboration. So your next big conference is the Climate Investment Summit as part of London Climate Action Week, which is being held at the London Stock Exchange. Now, here in Guernsey, we know that investment is so important in terms of climate and biodiversity, and we're also very proud that Guernsey is the number one jurisdiction for LSE listings outside of the UK. And it's fantastic to see that so many of those listings are in asset classes like renewables. Um, what are some of the themes and the topics that you're most looking forward to hearing about at the event, Jens? Uh, I, I would say that, um, uh, first of all, um, we're very proud to collaborate with London Stock Exchange uh, uh, group uh, on the event. It's, uh, we do that for the for the second year, and it's it's also to put um, to put the the theory into practice in terms of uh, uh, investing. Uh, so I would say uh, we're much closer now to knowing uh, the investment gap that we have before 2030. Uh, luckily, we see uh, uh, some strong movers. For example, the Nordic pension funds uh, from the area where I'm from. Uh, are investing a lot, and they have committed almost ten percent on their as on, on their on their balance sheet or as on the manage to invest in in climate before twenty thirty. Um, what what we see is uh, uh, what we see for some years that there are developed uh, business models, uh, fairly well developed business models, especially in the in the developed world, uh, to invest in uh, clean energy, wind, solar, and uh, energy infrastructure. What we still need to see, what were still our gaps, that's investing in is investing more in buildings, investing more in uh, decarbonizing um, uh, industries, and what, what you call hard to abate sectors, cement, aluminium, 
uh, investing in uh, more uh, or new solutions that require that that has a higher risk and and, and those areas I think are uh, would be very uh, important to or, or very interesting to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Are those the only investment areas of focus that you're seeing um, at the conference? Uh, or would you say there are different emerging asset classes? Yeah, so so there are different emerging asset classes. So I'd say that the the, the starting point is typically, I would say, in energy infrastructure. Uh, and then we, we see now more and more interest uh, from the asset owners to invest in uh, industry and what I say, decarbonization of industry. Um, uh, then there's uh, investing in transport and transportation. It goes from, you know, like uh, um, cars to airlines to shipping, etc. Um, then, for example, uh, we work together with the Green Finance Institute on uh, getting more uh, institutional investment into the built environment, which is an important asset class for, for, for many pension funds also. And then um, we also have a session where we work with, uh, with uh, TNFD, the Task Force for Nature Disclosure, on uh, investing more in nature now that you have uh, the, the new biodiversity agreement. Uh, and then I would say... Um, Finding these new technologies that are more risky but very much needed, hydrogen, power to X, storage, etc. So looking forward to the next climate focus COP, which is COP28, which will take place in Dubai in December. What do you think some of the key discussion areas will be? So the next COP uh, for climate is uh, a global stock take. Um, so I mean, basically taking stock of not where the world is, but where the world would be if uh, you put all the, the national climate plans together from, uh, from all the signatures to the Paris Agreement. And, uh, and at best, that stock take uh, um, should land on 1.5 degrees. And I, I doubt that people think so. Um, and I'm not the one to predict that, but I, I think that um, it would be higher than 1.5 degrees. So, so the, the focus will be uh, if that stock take is higher than 1.5 degrees uh, glo- uh, uh, temperature increase, how do we how do we still get back to be at least below 2.5 degrees or closer to 1.5 degrees? So, so that stock take and installing a process to make sure that uh, that that we are on the right track over the next years would be the I would say the key theme. Uh, th- then I think that um, uh, another key theme. As this is a COP that will take place in a uh, in the UAE uh, as an oil producing country, will be very much how how do we deal with um, uh, the, the ever increasing production of fossil fuels and uh, the the CO two emissions that that causes, and uh, uh, will the UAE presidency be able to um, to to come up with a plan for how to decarbonize or to to either decarbonize the fossil fuels, which is a bit tough, but uh, to, to find a way to minimize the, the emissions from, uh, from the use of fossil fuels. Um, then I think uh, finance will again be strong on the agenda um, and financing uh, uh, the, I would say, the, uh, the energy transition and also finance um, the need for uh, renewable energy in uh, emerging and developing markets. As you say, yeah, it's a good job it's happening in an oil-producing country in some ways. Do you yeah. think that would be a good outcome from COP28? Um, and maybe we could talk a little bit about how to ensure COPs are grounded in action now that those commitments have been made. 
um, yeah, I'll say that um, a good cop will be, uh, of course, overall um, a strong uh, stock, a stock take that shows really shows willingness to reduce emissions, and that you certainly see countries really want to commit to make uh, strong uh, climate action plans. Um, and, and then I think that the, the elephant in the room is, uh, of course, uh, the, the fossil fuels and the, the fact that we have not found a way to, to deal with the emissions from, uh, from, from fossil fuels. So, so any plan on that, uh, that that really works would be very welcome, uh, I would say. And, and then we need to find a way to, uh, to, to, to solve the needs of the emerging and developing companies. Um, uh, countries, uh, we, we got a, a big decision on loss and damages in some side, but we still need to find a way to fund that. Um, and I'm sure there'll be demands for 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 doing that, and we'll see that at the next COP. Now, as we mentioned earlier, you've been attending COPs for many years. Would would you have any advice or top tips for companies that are preparing uh, for how to attend a COP, how to get the most out of it? Um, I would say that um, you are uh, increasingly getting uh, strong frameworks that you can relate to if you are what you call a non-state actor, a financial corporation or business or general business or whatever. Um, you have um, under what's called America's Partnership, you have different programs for businesses. Uh, you have uh, Race to Zero, you have uh, Race to Resilience, uh, you have uh, GFANS. Uh, on that, that that guides the actions of the of the financial sector, asset owners, asset managers, venture. Now there's a new uh, new alliance for 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 venture funds uh, with uh, sort of uh, set parameters for for what you can sign up to in terms of becoming net zero before uh, 2050, but also more short term uh, actions and also a toolbox uh, that you increasingly can start using individually but also when you want to work uh, sector-wise. And thirdly, also, if you want to contribute to, um, to global impact. So, so, so making some preparation in terms of what is going on and, and all these uh, documents and things, uh, they are, um, uh, you can find them on various websites and you can relate to the whole uh, America's partnership and the management of that through the Global Climate Action Champions. Um, uh, that, that that's one thing. Uh, the second thing is also, uh, yeah, just uh, as many are starting to do, figure out what what uh, what you think can be your own ambition, uh, realistic ambition. What can be some of the actions you can take so so you also can enter the di- constructive dialogue uh, when you go to the COP, making sure uh, to prepare on, on what's going on, when to be there. Uh, there are themed the days on finance, energy, etc. So. So it doesn't matter which day or which stage you are at the COP and it takes place over two weeks. And then, then I would say um, uh, arrange some meetings, but also make sure that, that there's some time left to meet uh, the unknown or to meet some people that you haven't met before and just listen to the different voices that, that is present there. Excellent advice. Absolutely brilliant. Now, I imagine lots of people who listen to this podcast and businesses that are starting to tackle how they manage the energy transition and incorporate disclosures and learn more about the role of nature might feel a bit nervous about the scale of the challenge. And, you know, why wouldn't they? As our final question, what would you say to those starting to finance the transition to net zero? Uh, I would say that um, we got 
the solutions, almost all, I would say. Uh, we, we need to invest more in, um, uh, in, in certain more sophisticated uh, solutions to deal with, uh, with uh, carbon capture and storage and extracting carbon out of the air, etc. But, but generally speaking, we got most of the solutions at hand. Uh, we also got the capital uh, to finance the, the Paris Agreement and also uh, the, the biodiversity framework. Uh, where, where what we need to do is to pu- actually push governments to amend regulation uh, towards uh, uh, more uh, to, to be advantaged uh, towards more uh, green economy. Um, and um, on that the backdrop, it's possible to achieve the Paris Agreement. It's possible to go to 1.5 degrees. It's possible to act nature positive. Um, and I would say it's more risky not to uh, finance the transition to net zero than uh, uh, than actually to start financing it. So let's just get on with it. And on that lovely optimistic note, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Jens. Thanks for your time and for your brilliant insights. Um, and I'd also like to say thank you to you for listening. We have quite a back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the Sustainable Guernsey Finance podcast channel, and you can check them out by searching for Sustainable Finance Guernsey wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's episode, leave us a review or a comment. We'd love to get your feedback. You can also find us at sustainablefinanceguernsey.com and weareguernsey.com, and you can interact with us on Twitter at SFGuernsey and at WeAreGuernsey. To hear more relating to the news and developments coming out of Guernsey's financial services industry, check out the We Are Guernsey podcast on your preferred platform. And we've also got links to Jens and the World Climate Foundation in today's show notes. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast. 